Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let me ask you guys a question today. Have you ever been hungry? Have you ever been really hungry? Like maybe even this morning, like you got up, you were so excited to come to go to church today, just getting ready, the hair, the look, the things, all the stuff, right? and you just forgot to eat, right? Maybe even right now, the blood sugar is just a little low. Well, for one of you, I want to try to fix that, which is why I brought this. You know, Go Church Runs on Duncan. So I'm just curious, if you're here, maybe you got off to a little bit of a rough start. The blood sugar is a little low. I want to give this little box of mixed donuts to the first person that stands up. The first person that said, you. Yes, come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Come on. Give her a hand. She stood up with boldness. I love it. Now, it's up to you if you want to share or not. You can pray about that. But the row is like, she better pray and share that with me. Have you ever been really, really hungry? I was thinking about this, and my mind went back to undergrad experience at the University of Oklahoma. My friends and I, freshman year, we decided to do a fast, a spiritual fast, for the first time in our entire lives. We're like, we're going to fast food as college students. <laughs> so we decided we're going to go three days, no food. I'm like 18. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so, you know, one day we're good, kind of good. Second day, good. We're making it. Third day, you know, we're really encouraging each other because we were going to, you know, break the fast together. We're getting close. So we get through one, two, three days, and now it's time, you know, to break the fast. So being smart, wise, spiritually mature college students. We decided to break the fast by going to a buffet. (laughs) You knew it was coming. It was like we went from godliness to gluttony in like 30 minutes is really what happened. But I want you to think about this. Have you ever really truly been hungry? Been around somebody that's truly been hungry? Now, if you have a baby or have had a baby, the answer would be yes, right? Because the baby is cute. The baby smells lovely. Oh, it's the baby. So beautiful, so lovely until baby gets hungry. Then baby turns into venom from Marvel. Like baby turns evil. It's like baby thinks I'm literally about to die without this bottle. It's actually the same thing with husbands, too. It's like they can get a little, a little hangry every once in a while. Have you ever been, have you ever been around somebody that has been hungry, hungry, hungry? I think it's kind of hard for us in our environment and our culture in America to really understand hunger. But as we get into the Beatitudes today and we read a scripture about hunger, about being thirsty, I want you to begin to explore, think, challenge yourself. Think about what this could mean for you, your family. Could it be that we're hungry for the wrong things? Are we hungry for the right things? Are we hungry for God at all? 
Are we truly desperate for God like we would be desperate maybe on 7, 8, 9, 10th day of a complete food fast? Desperate, ready, I'll do anything, come on. How hungry are we for God? I want us to get into this today and make some progress together. So grab your communication card, flip it over on the back, write this down. It's our one big thing. If you're new here to Go Church, first of all, welcome. Doesn't matter if it's your first time, 163rd time. You are welcome here at Go Church, and we are growing in God together. So you are in a great place to get some of that figured out. Write this down. When I am hungry for God, I'm blessed. When I'm hungry for God, I am blessed. Now we are in this series, of course, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, let me just ask you, how many of you have used the word Beatitude in any kind of language in the last month? Anybody? Not a word we use a lot, okay? Beatitude. This is the idea of how to live blessed. So if I were to ask you, do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to be a person that can be called a child of God? Do you want to be full of God's presence, full of God's blessing? Most of us would say, yes, these are some of the keys to live that way. So we've got to understand the tone from which Jesus was teaching the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever did, Sermon on the Mount, on the mountainside. Now, I imagine in the audience all kinds of people, from the most devoted to the skeptic. People who were all in as far as they could be and they were in with Christ, his disciples. And people who were probably there to mock or to make fun of and then all in between. Very much like we are today. People looking, people searching, maybe scoffing, totally devoted. We all have something to learn from this but we've gotta understand the tone. So the tone is this, it's this. It's a smile, it's joy. Oh, how to be blessed. I imagine Jesus communicating this with a smile on his face. Joy from your soul trickling up and infecting your face. Joy, happiness. Oh, the joy of the person who knows their need for God, who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, who knows how to mourn and take needs and hurt and pain to God. Blessed is that person. So let's remember that as we read Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now I want to read this again. And when we get to that word righteousness, I want you to say that together with me with some unction and some energy. Here we go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we're coming to a part, we're in the part that's going to be hard for us, I believe. And we're going to have to pull together, work together as a team, okay? If you're willing to work with me, can you just nod ahead? Am I in a good place? Yes, I'm in a good place. This is going to be hard for us if you have grown up here, if you've spent a lot of time in this culture, a lot of time in America. The idea of understanding really what true hunger is. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't understand it. I don't really know. I don't know at all what it really feels like to experience that incessant 
clawing hunger, that incessant pain and hurt reminding you of your desperate need for something that you can't find or that you can't get. I just, I've never felt it. I mean, even back in college when I was going to fast for three days, guess what? I could have gone at any time. Right on over to the fridge, right on over to the cabinet, right on over to the faucet. Turn it on right there. Food right there. I think it's hard for us, and that way we have to work and be disciplined and use our imagination to really put ourselves in a space of what it's like to hunger, to want to be able to eat but can't. There's a lot of the world that knows this hunger, I think. There's a lot of the world that can't just go to the faucet and turn it on, and we forget about this. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like? The boys wrote a book in... McAuliffe, I think, and they're maybe seventh grade, about a story where a young one had to go long, long, long distance to get water, hauling water, hauling water, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, miles and miles and miles. Go to get the water, carry the water back, and then you've got to purify the water, right? You've got to boil the water, and then you've got to do it maybe a couple of times a day because last time I checked, water is heavy, Right? So water weighs, a gallon of water is 8.3 pounds. So imagine carrying two, three, four gallons of water a distance, doing that every day. We can just go to the faucet. I mean, we just need to work hard here. Work with me. Dig deep. Think about what it's like to not be able to just go over and get. Just turn it on. Already cold from the fridge. Even frozen water. Boom. Push the thing. It's there. So much of the world is not like that. And I think part of the audience that was listening to Jesus understood real hunger. I think maybe a great many of them had times in their life where they wanted to eat desperately but couldn't. Maybe they didn't have the luxury of just eating whenever they wanted to. In the Middle East, think about traveling town to town, being caught in heat, caught in sandstorm, heat sucking moisture out of your lips, out of your face, out of your body, doing anything. I mean, imagine being like that. Imagine just being even here in Colorado, and you're going to go and you're going to hike, and you're up there, and somehow you run out of water, and you're up there days trying to get down. I mean, just a couple of days here, you would do almost anything for a drink. Imagine that that feeling as we read this quote from William Barclay about this verse, hunger and thirst. The hunger, which this beatitude describes, is no genteel hunger. Now, students, genteel is the idea of like something that's easy or soft. It's not a soft thing or an easily fixable thing. It describes no genteel hunger which could be satisfied with a mid-morning Snack, the thirst of which it speaks is no thirst which could be slacked with a cup of coffee or an iced drink. It is the hunger of the man who is starving for food, starving for food. The thirst of a man who will die unless he drinks. This beatitude then is a question and a challenge. It asks, how much do you want goodness? What a question to think about in our time. How much do you want goodness? 
Do you want it as much as a starving man wants food? How intense is our desire for goodness? I've been thinking about this all week. And guess what? It's been bothering me all week. So now it's my job to let it bother you. Be bothered by this. When was the last time that you were so hungry for God that you cared more about the kingdom, getting closer to the Lord, your relationship with God, than you did about food, about drink, about career, about image, about status, about your kids, about family, about anything else? When was the last time you were that desperate for God? What are you hungry for? What am I hungry for? What are we hungry for as a community made up of individual parts? Are you really hungry for God? Are you more hungry for your career than Christ? Are you more hungry for cash than you are the kingdom? Do you care more about people following Jesus or just more people following you? Do you care more about your kids chasing a soccer ball than you do about them chasing their savior? What do you really, at the end of the day, 100% maximum honesty, what are you hungry for? Why do you get up in the morning? What drives you? What is that thing that if you were hungry, if you were thirsty, that is the only thing that you could think about. Everything else would be just a distraction, momentary distraction. But that hunger, that desire, that want to, that unction would be in you and be undeniable. I want to encourage you and challenge you in this. If we can get to a hungry place, if we can get to a desperate place, if we can say it's not just about cash, it's not just about career, it's not just about kids, it's not just about safety, it's not just about being successful, it is about the kingdom of God. If we can get there, the Bible says, God says we will be blessed. Not just survive, but succeed. God will bless us. God will take care of you. God will bless your kids. God will give you hope for the future. He will do the magnificent in your life because we serve an amazing God. Do you believe it, Go Church? Do you really believe it? Enough for it to affect your behavior. What a challenging verse. This has been punching me in the gut all week. What am I really hungry for? So what do we do? Why don't we just dismiss right now? There's donuts outside, right? Before it gets too hard, too, too heavy. It's already a little bit heavy, but we could just, we could quit here and be all right, but we're not going to. How can we get some traction on this. Like this has to make a difference in our everyday life or it doesn't matter. If all we do is come into this space and hear and leave and hear and leave and hear and leave and don't engage, if it never really makes a difference in our everyday practical life, what's the point? I wanna give you a couple of things that I think will encourage you, but the first two that I wanna give you are things that don't work. I'm the kind of person that I like to know things 
that don't work, it helps me find the things that do work sometimes. So I want to give you two things that don't work when we're trying to engage with this message in our life. Write this down in your communication card. Two things that don't work. Here's the first one. Legalistic Christianity, it just doesn't work. Legalistic Christianity, just follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules. What are the rules? Watch the system, watch the rules, just follow the rules and we will be good. Most people, when they think about Jesus, they think about Jesus as this ultra-loving person. He was loving. That doesn't mean he loved everything. I think there are also things that Jesus hated. Injustice, pain. One of the things that Jesus did not like, I don't think it would be too strong to say hated was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, now students in the house, Students in the house, hypocrisy, this is the idea that, you know, a person will say one thing but do another, or they'll try to look a certain way in front of a certain group of people, be a different kind of way at home. Hypocrisy, Jesus hated hypocrisy. And that's why he had such a problem with the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, Sadducees, basically PhD, doctorate level teachers in Old Testament law. You see, well, they would do things like this. They would try to follow all the rules to be seen, all the religious rules, but they wouldn't really get the heart of what it meant to follow God. They would try to find public places, corners to stand on. They would pray these super impressive prayers, wearing these super impressive clothes to be seen by men. And Jesus would see this happening and he would tell his followers, look, that's their reward. That's the only reward they will get is to be seen and recognized by their fellow man. That's it. No heavenly reward, no kingdom reward. This drove Jesus crazy. He would use illustrations like these teachers of the law, they look all great on the outside, but on the inside, they're like maggoty bread. On the outside, they look all great, but they're dry, dead bones on the inside. God cares about the heart. God cares about what's on the inside. So if we take this religious life that is supposed to be full of life and freedom and purpose and joy and fun and community and strip all the way down to just rule following, we miss it. Jesus did not live his life, give his life, be resurrected from the dead to start a religion. He did it to start a relationship with you. It's all about relationship. Legalistic Christianity, it just doesn't work. Maybe you're like me. When I see a problem, this is, this is classic me. Let's say, for example, you know, maybe our house is not as clean or as orderly as yours. Or as clean or as orderly as I would like it to be. You know what I default to? Here's what I default to. What we need here is a system. We, do we have any system people? It's like, what we need here, let's do an analysis. The last week, let's see how much time we spend in this area and that area. And input and output. And let's figure out we need a new routine. We need a new system, new routine, chore wall, spreadsheet, graph, we're going to type A this thing. We're going to fix it because we need a system, right? 
And so what happens with our kids is what they hear is just, okay, here's all the new rules we got to follow, right? So I got to clean this, I got to do this, I got the bed and sheets, and I got to do the thing out of the room, the basement, and all these rules and all this stuff, and the chore wheel of death, and it's just stuff to do, right? Stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do. So it's a short-term, like, panicky move, right, to try to fix stuff. But in the long term, it really doesn't work. For me and for Becky, with our boys, something we try to do, we're not perfect. I mean, we do not have the patent on success in this area all the way. But what we try to do is try to help our boys, Ethan and Levi and Sydney, understand the why behind the what. It's not just clean your room. The what? Can you just pick up your clothes? The what? Can you just do the laundry? The what? Can you just clean the bathroom? We try to make it about more than that. We try to make it about, here's what it means to have a family. Here's what it means to support each other. Here's what it means to sacrifice to make the whole family good, to be a part of the unit, part of the team. It's not just me and mom doing everything for you. It's us pulling together as a team, as a unit for family success. So it's not just about having a room clean, having a basement clean, doing the things, following the rules. It's a stewardship issue, doing the best you can with what God has given you in the home, in life, in work, maximizing what God has given you. And so we try to help them understand that, are we perfect at it? No, but we're getting better. And it's really the way we should be with the Lord. We do everything that's under the Lord. We don't try to follow the rules so the Lord will like us a little better. Oh, I'm gonna do this and I don't do that, and I do this and I don't do that, and I do this and I don't do that, and then God likes me enough to let me into heaven. That is the most boring non-life, cheap, veneer spirituality you can imagine. It misses all the fabric and the amazingness of God's love and grace and mercy, personally knowing him. I just want to challenge you, legalistic Christianity doesn't work. Here's what it does. It creates just rules. And I think this is true at home and in our walk with God. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. If you don't believe me, just try it for a while. Rules without relationship, it leads to rebellion. Know the why behind what you're doing in your relationship with God and never let it turn into just a rule. If I'm praying, I know why I'm praying. It's not to earn points. It's because I wanna know my Father. I wanna hear his voice. I want to get closer to him. That's the why behind what I'm doing. Think about this. Is there any part of your life that has turned a bit legalistic and you need some freedom? You need some help. Open yourself up to God's amazing grace today. The second thing that doesn't work is this. Write it down. Living as a Christian atheist doesn't work. Maybe you've never heard of this idea, Christian atheist. It's just another way to say that I believe in God, but behave like he doesn't exist. It's almost another way to say hypocrisy. It's a way to say, I behave a certain way in front of this group, but really, I'm like this. I say I believe in God, but I behave like he doesn't exist. But here's the thing, it's just like legalistic Christianity. It doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. 
Because God sees your heart. He sees on the inside. We can fool people for a while. I mean, I've counseled some people whose husband and wife, a spouse, can fool each other for a while. I think it's harder to fool your kids. But I've seen people try to fool neighbors, friends, coworkers, government, <laughs> IRS. <laughs> I want to be legal, but just barely <laughs> with the IRS and tax season coming up. We can fool other people. We can project the image. We can say the stuff. We can wear the things. We can anticipate what they're thinking. We can play the game with everyone but the Lord. The Lord sees the heart. There's this very cool Old Testament moment where a prophet, his name was Samuel. A prophet, students in the house, is somebody that speaks for the Lord. The Lord would tell this person something. He would tell people this thing, okay? That's a prophet. So one of the responsibilities of Samuel was to pick the next king of Israel. And so he goes to this family. Now, you're probably, you've probably heard of a member of this family. How many of you have ever heard of the story of David and Goliath? You ever heard that? Just raise your hand. Have you ever heard that? I mean, you even hear that like on ESPN. It's going to be a David and Goliath battle today. So he goes to David's family to find the next king. So he's looking at all of these brothers, right? And he comes to a brother, and he's like, this has got to be the guy. He's thinking to himself, this has got to be the guy. So in my mind, I'm thinking this guy, this brother's probably tall, dark, handsome, sharp, good vocabulary, maybe a great dresser. I'm not sure how that would look in the Old Testament. <laughs> He has some swag back in the New Testament, some swagger. And so he's literally about to pick this guy. This obviously looks like the guy, but the Lord says no. He goes, no, he's not the guy. I know he looks like he might be the guy, but he's not the guy. And then the Lord goes on to talk about how other people see the outside, but he sees the inside, keep looking. And he ends up finding David, a man that the Bible describes as a person after God's own heart. God sees beyond the outside to the inside. He sees your good and he sees your bad. And guess what? He loves us. He loves us. So if you look on the inside and you don't like what you see, don't ever let that infect your perspective of God. Just because at times you don't love yourself, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God loves you 100% of the time, all the time, every day. And he has purpose for you, plan for you, strength for you, redemption for you. Don't count yourself out. Now, for me as a follower of Jesus, I can notice a danger zone with this Christian atheism thing. It's not just for a certain kind of person. I think it's for all of us to consider. For example, if I notice I'm not really living what I'm saying, danger zone. If I notice that I am losing my temper faster than normal, danger zone. If I can't really remember the last time that I spent in the Bible reading the word, danger zone. If I feel like prayer has become a duty or a rule that I just need to follow or something I need to check off, or there's something wrong with me, danger zone. If I start trending towards being negative, like seeing the worst in people really fast, 
rather than the best in people, danger zone. So I'm here to challenge all of us today, not just you, all of us. Look out for this zone in your life. Is there a zone in your life that says you believe in God, but you behave like he doesn't exist? The way that you treat someone, a thought pattern you have, something going on financially, something in your business. Think about this. These are two things that don't work. I want to give you two things that do work. Write this down. Here's something that will work. Involve God in your daily conversations. We're going all the way back to this whole Easter thing, right? It's not a big deal for you to invite somebody to church or to small group. If they've heard you say something about God before, it makes it way less weird, right? It doesn't feel like you're turning it on in the moment, you know? Let's check this out. This is out of Deuteronomy. Context for this. We always read the Bible in context. This was recorded words of Moses. Moses, prophet, led the children of Israel out of bondage, Egyptian bondage. Phenomenal leader, not a perfect person. There's only one perfect person in the Bible. That's Jesus. Everybody else had issues, all right? Moses had issues, but he's writing about these principles and teaching these principles to generations to come. If you're a parent especially, Listen to this. Let's just go all the way. And if you're a kid in here, you're a student in here, listen to this. See if you can find your place. Verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts. This is Moses talking, talking about the Lord. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now go all the way back to the beginning. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Now it's not like today where we just have Bibles around, right? Bible is not even really written. There's a few little early parts written at this time that Moses was actually writing. So it's not like you could go down to the old bookstore and just buy one. They couldn't just download it out of the app store and have whatever version they want. They had to actually memorize stuff, put it in a heart, in a mind. Sometimes I think we lean a little too much on technology and say, oh, I can look something up later. I don't need to memorize certain things right now. Like even for phone numbers, my wife is like favorite number one, and when somebody asks me what the number is, I've got to like, well, she's favorite number one. Let me look up Becky's contact here and give you the number. We don't memorize stuff like we used to. The challenge, memorize. I think it's worth memorizing. Things that are super, super important, we memorize. I want to challenge you, memorize. There are people that have taken the second part of this literally. Tie them as symbols on hands, bind them on foreheads. The idea of carrying these teachings in a visible way so they could be seen and then talking to the kids right when you sit at home when you walk along the road when you lie down when you get up I'm thinking about this as I'm putting this together and I'm like what do I do during those times this is what I do uh, sitting down on the couch woo here we go. March Madness. What are the scores? Just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Walking along the road. You know, maybe you're sick of the house and you like, I'm going to go outside and, and take a little walk. Do you leave this guy at home? Nope. AirPod. Gen 3. Crank out a couple of conference calls. Listen to some music, whatever. We just have this 
on, 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 on all the time. I'm not saying this is evil, but it's on, on, on all the time. Well, maybe it gets better. What about lying down? When you lie down. I got this. A little last minute news at night. Uh, what about getting up? The very first thing I did today, turned my alarm off. And then a little scroll on news, see if anything's happening, you know, with the situation overseas. I want to challenge you to involve God in your everyday conversations with your kids, with the people that you care about. So maybe less of this, more of this, less of this, more face-to-face. What if you started to bring God into the conversation naturally, in natural ways? Okay, for example, tomorrow morning, parents in the house. First thing you do as an experiment, very first thing you do, when your alarm goes off, boop, down, very first thing you do, pray for your kid. Quick prayer. God, I just pray today it would be an amazing day for my kids. Ethan, Levi, Sydney, I pray you would bless them, help them, help them to understand a little more about you. And then the very first thing you can do when you see them, you give them a hug and you say, you know what? I've already been praying for you this morning. I was praying for you this morning. Is there anything I'm going to be praying about today? Do you have anything coming up? You got a test? You got a thing? How's relationships? How's swim? Already, day, started off, focused on God, working it into everyday normal conversation. You hop in the car, you're going to run them to school. Not an out of the ordinary kind of thing, but let's say on the way to school, sunrise, phenomenal. I know for some people in the room, probably maybe some of our college students or young professionals, uh, there is a time when the sun comes up. It's not just always up. It's the sunrise. It comes up. Sometimes it's beautiful. Instead of just saying, oh, sun, look at that. What an amazing sunrise. What do we say? Look at that amazing sunrise. You know that God created all of this. I mean, look at this amazing thing that God did today. Look at this mountain backdrop. I mean, look at where we're going and just ask him, what do you think about that? Do you think God could do that? Just work it into a natural conversation. At work. How many of you know at work sometimes drama seeps in? Real life seeps in because it's just real life. You're at work, you're having an interaction with a coworker, and they're like, man, actually, yeah, I've been kind of going through some stuff. It's just kind of tough right now. You know, stuff like this happens. You can say, oh, man, sorry about that. Right? Oh, sorry to hear that. I mean, it's not horrible to do. But what if instead of that, he said, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. It sounds really hard. You know, when I hit really hard times and it gets tough for me or my family, prayer is a big deal for us. And I would be honored if I could just pray for you this week. You know, can I pray for you? The situation you're going through this week? And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I would love that. Sure. They're not going to say, you hyper-religious jerk, how in the world could you in this day and age? They're not going to do that. That's what your mind says they're going to do, but they'll never do that. Instead, they'll feel loved and cared about, and guess what? God is now in the conversation, because that's what leaders do. They steer the conversation. Parents, stop letting the conversation get hijacked by your kiddos. Steer the conversation. At work, steer the conversation. With your neighbor, steer the conversation. Use the influence God has given you and steer that conversation to the one that can make a difference in their life. How is anyone going to know anything about the Lord if we don't talk about the Lord in our everyday life? When we do, we take all of the weirdness out of it. 
The last thing, I want to challenge you guys. Make local church a non-negotiable. Maybe Go Church is your home. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you're streaming online, you're checking it out for the first time. Maybe you're here visiting and you have a local church somewhere else. Make local church involvement a non-negotiable. Don't let it ever turn into a thing where it's like, well, we might go. Oh, we, we might go to that small group. You know, we were thinking about it, but on the inside you're like, we ain't going to that. Parents and kids, kids and parents, young professionals, I am just challenging you to make community a priority. I want to close with this scripture. This is out of Hebrews. This is the Apostle Paul writing to normal people like me and you, followers of Jesus. He's writing this. Let us as well stir up one another's minds to energetic effort in love and good works. He's talking about when we come together in church. Verse 25, we mustn't do what some people have got into the habit of doing, neglecting to meet together. Instead, we must encourage one another and all the more, as you can see, what I messed that up. And all the more, as you can see, the great day coming closer, the idea of Jesus returning again. The Apostle Paul is using this imagery of like stirring up, man. And I think about whisking something. Like I think about us, when I come in this place and I see you, and I see your smile, I see you singing, I see you leaning in, I see you nodding your head, I see you talking to each other, that stirs something up in me. See, I can't find that at home. I can't find that just watching a thing, to see you pray for somebody else, to see the kids run down the sidewalk, carrying their craft, talking about their scripture that they're learning, talking about something that happened at Go Kids that doesn't happen online. What I'm challenging you to do is to be full of gratitude that we can even come together at all. And let's make it a priority. It'll make a difference in our life. It'll make a difference in our kids. Imagine a future where parents, your kids, are excited about what God's doing in their life, and they're talking to you about it because you talk about God to them. It's not just a drive to school. It's not just a drive to karate. It's not just an errand to run. It's an opportunity to have a conversation. First thing you do when you wake up, pray a prayer for your friend, for a coworker, for your kids, for your spouse. And then when you see them, when you see them, you can be like, you know what? I was praying for you today. How are things? What a great way to start the day. I want us to pray today. Really ask God to stir up a hunger in us. Come on, go church. Let's pray together as a team. God, we come to you and we ask that you would stir it up. God, whisk up the unction, and the desire within us. God, I pray that you would do a miracle of hunger and thirst in our lives. Help us to shake off just the normal things that we can be completely absorbed by in our culture, career pressure, money pressure, the chaos that's happening in world, war, economics, inflation. God, help us to put these things in their proper place, not to ignore them or to be naive. But God, never to allow these things to sit upon the throne of our heart. God, today, we articulate from our heart that you are on the throne of our life. We want you. We need you. Help us to crave you, to go after you. Like a person would go after food, like a person would go after drink. Help us to live in that blessing. You promise that we will be filled 
if we will come after you with hunger that will not be denied. Make it happen in our hearts, God. Help us work a miracle in our lives today. The most important thing that could happen today for you is for you to activate and to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't come to this world to start a religion. He came to start a relationship with you. Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He laid that life down on the cross. He paid the price for our mistakes. He paid the price so that we could be right with God. They peeled him off of that cross, put him in a tomb, dead three days. But on the third day, God raised him back to life, and he has a plan for yours. What does the Bible say about it? How can we do it? The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of faith right now. If you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life, pray this out loud with me right now. Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I am making you the Lord and the leader of my life, and I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.